Well, let's stand and take our Bibles this morning. The Gospel of John, chapter 1. The Gospel of John, chapter 1. First order of business. Look around you. If someone next to you doesn't have a Bible, or predominantly, specifically a King James Version of the Bible, would you be kind enough to share your Bible with them? Help them find their place. We will be predominantly in John, chapter 1 this morning. We're going to have a great time. Looking forward to this series as we're just going to kind of preach the Gospels and different passages that reveal the truth about Jesus Christ over these next several weeks. And you ought to use this an opportunity to just, if you're not sure about your faith with Jesus Christ, if you're saved, use this as an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to help you examine your conscience, that through these series of messages, you would come to that relationship with the Lord. If you're kind of shaky about where you're at in your faith, we're praying that this series will help stabilize your faith and you'll grow in great ways with the Lord. Two things, tonight we are privileged to have missionary Bruce Rice with us. Brother Rice has been on the field, I think, about 35 years. He's in the area of Mindanao in the Philippines. I would classify Mindanao as probably one of the ten most difficult places on planet Earth to, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is predominantly a Muslim area with terrorist Muslims in that area, the Abu Sayyaf terrorist group down there. And yet Brother Rice has been there preaching the gospel, has started three, maybe four churches, doing a great work for the Lord. And we're just thankful for him and men like uh, a missionary Doug Sisson, who's down in General Santos, doing a great work for the Lord in that area for Christ. And you want to hear a great preacher of the word this evening and someone who's just laboring for Christ and loves the Lord, loves Filipinos and loves people as a whole. And we're just thankful for men like that that we, we, we get to support. So you'll be here for that. And again, as I said, just keep in mind about the one key offering. And then if you've recently received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you have not been contacted, if you just recently become a believer in in the Lord. I'm having what's called a right start meeting this morning and every Sunday morning at around 12:10 or so, uh, right after the morning service. Just meet with me up in the the um, upstairs lobby of the Marine Center, wait outside in the waiting area. I have a quick meeting with you. Just want to give you some encouragement about what are the next steps that are critical and important for you to just get off the right start. And you be there uh, this morning for that. I, we have several people I believe will be there for that. But be there for that, and we'll be there to encourage you in the Lord. John chapter one, say Amen if you're there. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Congregation, you read the even number verses. Verse 2, congregation, the same. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Congregation, and Him was. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He came unto his own and his own received him not. which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And together, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Notice verse 3. There's so many things we'll look at this morning. I hope that you'll look at your notes that are in your bulletin. There's so many things we're going to look at today. They're so exciting. But notice verse 3. It says, all things were made by Him. And notice this next phrase. And without him, without him, we are in terrible trouble. Without him, this church could not be in existence. Without him, there's no salvation by grace through faith. Imagine life without him. Imagine reading this book, Christian friend, without him being the centerpiece of this book. Imagine praying without being able to pray in Jesus' name, without him. The truth this morning, truth number one, the truth is you need him. Father, bless our time together. We're thankful for the adult growth groups and uh, the lessons that were taught today by faithful teachers and uh, services going on right now for our Chinese-speaking department and also our, um, our junior high department, our children's church. And we are just really praying this morning, especially in this hour, 
that, God, you would give enlightenment and understanding and, uh, Lord, comprehension. And, Lord, we're not here to get just facts. We're here, Lord, that our faith would grow, that we would be rooted and built up in Jesus Christ, that this morning that our faith would be stabilized, our faith would be strengthened. Lord, that we'd be steadfast in our faith, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. More than anything else, I pray this morning that our Lord Jesus Christ, who's the centerpiece of every message, and this one especially, I pray that, Lord, we'll lift him up. And, Lord, when we're finished today, that all that everyone sees this morning is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, high and lifted up. Father, would you stir our imaginations, stir our hearts. And I pray for any here today who do not know your Son, Jesus Christ, as Savior. If they're not certain they're saved, that before this service is over, that they would call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. I pray for Christians today to be stirred in our consciences. And Lord, that we would be moved from just being hardened and maybe stuck at status quo and decide today that we are going to be on fire Christians wanting to do something for the glory of God. Bless this service and our time together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Just a few weeks ago, it seems like yesterday, but a few weeks ago, our nation was watching very carefully the Senate judicial hearings regarding the confirmation of now Supreme Court Justice Brent Kavanaugh. Brent Kavanaugh, from day one, a denomination by President Trump, has been a lightning rod. There is no middle ground as far as what people think about him. This message has nothing to do with Brent Kavanaugh, regardless of what side of the coin you're on, so don't get all fired up about that this morning, man. But one thing our nation was concerned about is allegations came out about this man's integrity. On one end, these allegations came across as being very strong. On the other end, we find this man who represents the legal system, a man who felt very, very disturbed and bothered that his integrity was being challenged, questioned, and brought through the mud. And one thing was determined by both Mr. Kavanaugh as well as those who accused him of wrongdoing. And our nation as a whole, and that was this, and our Senate Judicial Committee, they said, we need to know the truth. We need to know what are the verifiable facts. We need to know what is the truth. Everyone wanted to know the truth. If you've ever been asked to appear at a deposition... If you've ever been asked to appear in court as a witness, you know that you are asked to give a sworn testimony. And the sworn testimony, the question that we're asked goes something like this. Do you solemnly swear that you will tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? And the phrase that kind of gets embedded in our mind from grade school up is, will you tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Now, I'm not a perfect person, and I'm definitely not a perfect preacher, but I'm going to tell you something this morning. As we go through this series over the next several weeks, as God has laid on my heart over several weeks ago, this, this day going forward, I want you to know the truth about God's Son, Jesus Christ. I want you to know nothing but the truth about who He is and what He's all about. Because whatever you've heard from people, whatever you've been told, I'm going to tell you this morning, the Bible is either going to encourage you to realize that, yes, you believe the right thing, or no, you believe the wrong thing. Brother Eugene and I uh, were out soul winning this past Friday morning, and we've just had a wonderful time the last the last several Fridays out soul winning for a couple hours at a time. And we got to the street, we just got to talk to a lot of different people, and we came to the door, and a person came to the door and looked at us and said, who are you and what are you all about? And uh, I, I, could, I sized the person up, and I said, okay, I guess this is going to be a conversation that's going to happen here. And I asked the person the question, we always ask someone that we're not, we've never met, we've met for the first time, I said, well, let me just ask this question. I know what church back when you come from. This person mentioned they were attending a Christian scientist church and they've been into a Christian scientist church for 60 years. And by the way, when I say that, I'm not talking about a Christian who is a scientist. There's a cult called the Christian scientist. How many know what I'm talking about? Say amen, okay? There's a Christian that they are, they're, they're not Christians and I don't think they're scientists either, okay? But that's a whole different subject there. But they came out and started talking with us and I said, and, I, and, and, and there are three things that came out of the conversation that were very disturbing. Number one, the person said this emphatically and put their finger in my face and said, I want you to know, Pastor Fong, that Jesus Christ is not God. He was just a man. 
And I want you to know, number two, the Bible is not true. And the Bible, basically, Genesis chapter 2 is a, is a farce and not true. It's a fable. The Bible is a myth and a fable. And I want you to know, number three, I want you to know this, that we were made in the image of God. If we're in the image of God, I don't have any sin and I'm perfect. And I said, you know what? I want you to know something. You're wrong on all three counts. Because Jesus Christ is not just a man. He's the God-man. He is not the New Age movement, man trying to become a God. By the way, man cannot become a God. That is in your vain imagination, thinking you're equal with God because you've got some money, you've got some possession, you've got a lot of pride. Listen, man wants to become like God. You cannot become like God. But if Jesus Christ was God who became a man, yet without sin. The Bible is not a farce, and the Bible is not a myth, and the Bible is not a book of fables. The Bible is the living, true Word of God. It is a book that's alive, not a book that's dead. Genesis chapter 2 tells us very succinctly that God made Adam a living soul. He was made, God breathed into him and made him a living soul. Yes, our constituency on the outside is physical. But as you heard the preacher say last week, the most important thing about you and I, what constitutes life is not the body. What constitutes life is the soul that God has given to us. And so this morning, we're looking at the subject matter concerning truth. Now, you want to write some things down because there's so so many definitions. I, I, I'm really fearful that a lot of times when we talk with people, we can be using the same terminology, but we're reading out of two different dictionaries. How many understand what I'm talking about this morning, man? A lot of times you talk to somebody and what you think is the correct answer, they're reading out of a different dictionary. Now, write this down. Truth is, is defined as verifiable, accurate facts. Truth is verifiable, accurate facts. Truth is accurate information. It is not hearsay. It is not gossip. Truth is accurate information. Truth is reliable and verifiable facts. It is absolute integrity and honesty. Truth is what is genuine and can be completely trusted. Truth is who Jesus Christ is. Pontius Pilate in John chapter 19 or chapter 18 looked at Jesus in the face. And this will go down in eternity when he stands at the great white throne judgment. As the question he asked and the answer was standing in front of him. He said, what is truth? Duh, Jesus was looking right at him. He is truth. Amen. You need to understand some things before we look at our passage this morning about some things about truth. In Psalm 51, 6, the Bible defines for us the lifestyle of truth. David said, behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. That's to be your lifestyle. You don't be truthful. You're not truthful when you just come to church and put on your Sunday best and you can fool everybody else. We need to be truthful all the time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, kind of going with what the preacher said the other night. We just need to be full-time Christians. Amen. Psalms 108 verse 4 talks about the length of truth. How long is truth? What is what is dimensions of truth? Listen to what the psalmist said. For thy mercy is great above the heavens, and thy truth reaches unto the clouds. Hey, I want to tell you something this morning. God holds truth in such a high plateau. He says it reaches all the way to the clouds. That's a very long distance. There is the longing for truth. Proverbs 23, 23. Buy the truth and sell it not. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. More than anything else. We live in a day when everything's relative with people. But I'm going to tell you this morning. Truth is absolute. More than anything else. If anybody has a quest for truth. If anybody desires truth. It ought to be God's born again, blood bought people. The Bible says we're to buy the truth and sell it not. Don't be someone who lingers around the gossip page. Or the hearsay page. Or some so-called theologian who wants to give you opinion over a meal about what he thinks about what happened with the preacher said or whatever if what they're saying does not coincide with the word of god is that if it doesn't corroborate with the word of god you need to question it's being suspect is it truth or is it a man's opinion we must labor in truth joshua 24 14 now therefore fear the lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth we must let there can be the loss of truth listen to what isaiah 59 14 says and judgment is turned away backwards and justice standeth afar for truth is fallen in the streets and equity cannot enter boy how that speaks about our time right now but i'm thankful i could tell you this morning there's the liberation found in truth John 8.32 says, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Please understand this. Knowing the truth is coming to Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. 
Because as you read the context that unfolds from John chapter 5, John chapter 6, John chapter 7, going over to chapter 8, Jesus says in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. And he was shining brightly, as we see here in John chapter 1, of helping men to know the truth. Hey, the truth is when the light is shined on what's right, you know truth from error. Listen, we must understand this morning that you can be liberated from truth and through truth. But understand this this morning, there is the Lord of truth. And the Lord of truth is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Jesus said this, he said, uh, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. All the word of God is truth. We're going to look at the truth about Jesus Christ and nothing but the truth. Men's opinions, doctrinal differences with God, and theological trends are not truths. Those are just fads that come and go. But listen, the word of the Lord endureth forever. This morning, let's consider nothing but the truth about Jesus Christ. Notice three things in the time we have remaining very quickly this morning. Number one, what you consider Consider the truth about his all-powerful essence. Would you consider the truth this morning about Jesus Christ, that he's all-powerful in his essence. His essence is his being. Now, the Gospel of John explains to us the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ. He presents to us Jesus as the Son of God. 100% God, 100% man, man yet without sin. He became like us, but without sin. Notice the beginning of John chapter 1, as John establishes for us an understanding of the person of Jesus Christ. He presents to us Jesus Christ as all-powerful, sovereign, and infinite God. Notice what he says in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word is capitalized. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Next time you get into a, you have a Jehovah Witness, which is a cult, come to you and want to tell you that they have some new revelation to tell you. Always remind yourself of this. They are anti-Christ because they do not accept or believe that Jesus Christ is God's Son. They do not accept the deity of Jesus Christ. And in their New World Translation, which is not a Bible, and they, they do not have verse 2. And every time they'll bring up that discussion, I'll bring them to chapter 1 of God, John and verse 2. And the Bible says, the same was in the beginning with God. Now we need to understand, Jesus Christ, let's just clear the air right now. Jesus Christ is all-powerful, sovereign, infinite God, according to verses 1 to 3. Say that with me. He's all-powerful, sovereign, infinite God. Say it again. He's all-powerful, sovereign, infinite God. Jesus Christ is not less than God. He is God. Jesus Christ was not becoming God. He's always God. Jesus Christ is not going to become God. He is always God. Jesus Christ is God this morning. Please understand, Jesus Christ in verses 1 and 3, He is Creator God. In the beginning was the Word. He's all eternal. Listen, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And all things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. Jesus Christ is Creator God. We have no being. We have no existence without Jesus Christ. He's Creator God. But notice in verses 1 and 2, Jesus Christ is co-equal with God. He and the Father are the same. You can read through the Gospel of John and with great excitement, enthusiasm, every time Jesus says, I and the Father are one, you can exclaim this morning, glory to God, Jesus is God. Amen. He is God altogether. He is creator God and he's co-equal God. Notice verse one. I love this. Notice verse one. He is completely God. He's not less than God. He's not greater than God in that sense that that there's three different entities. No, he is God. In the beginning was the word and the Word was with God. He is completely God. Don't say Jesus is just a man. He is God. He is God complete. He was God who was incarnate. He is God who died for your sins and mine. He is completely God. But notice this morning in verse 1, it says this, And Jesus Christ was God. He is continuously God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ is all eternal. Jesus Christ is all infinite. Jesus Christ is everlasting. Jesus Christ... His beginning was, was everlasting. He, did what, he didn't have a cosmic beginning. He was the beginning. He is the sustenance of all things. He is continuously God. And notice Colossians 1, verses 14 to 16, would you please? Or 16 to 18, excuse me. Colossians 1, verses 16 to 18, it says, For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. Now, Paul, in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was given enlightenment and chose exactly the right words to mention here. He says, For by Him were all things created, and he he denounces everything around that tries to exalt itself above Jesus Christ and exalts Jesus Christ 
as being above all things. And the Bible says in verse 17 of Colossians 1, and he is before all things and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. I'm just saying this morning, as we look at these opening verses, John chapter 1, it declares uh, emphatically and without any reservation that Jesus Christ is all-powerful, infinite, sovereign God. But notice something else in verse 1. Something else comes out that speaks just very, very, very wonderfully. In the beginning was the Word. Now, as we look at John 1, 1, the Word is capitalized. And here's the reason, as John is approaching this, we can find some understanding about it by going back to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Before Jesus Christ came, the word that man had was the word of the prophets. What we had were the words of Moses and Abraham and Elijah and the major prophets and the minor prophets of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, of Habakkuk and Hosea and Zechariah and Malachi and Zephaniah and men like that. We had the words of the prophets who gave us the words of God, who were under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And before Jesus came, we had the written word. We had the spoken word by man. But notice he, uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It says this, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners, bake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Notice verse 2. He hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he's appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. Now Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2, and Colossians 1, verses 16 to 18, they all dovetail coincide with what we're reading in John chapter 1. Notice as we go back here, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word capitalized is a word that was used a description that John himself used in describing Jesus here and in his epistles. He was describing Jesus as the Logos. As the Logos, he was the living word. What you, what you notice is we had the spoken word by the prophets. We had the written words by the prophets. But Jesus Christ has come. And Jesus Christ has come to bring you the word. And he's the living word who walks among us. We can go to verse 14. And the Bible says the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We have to fathom verse 14 in the, se- in the sense of understanding what's being revealed there. The Word became flesh. God became a man. The Bible says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and being made uh, into the likeness of sinful man, he became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Jesus Christ is God who became a man. Jesus entered this world through a virgin's womb. He did not have a human father because his father is our father which is in heaven. There was no human father. There could not be a human father. If there was a human father involved, then Jesus would be a tainted, sinful man like you and I. But oh, thank God this morning, through the great miracle of God, the Holy Holy Spirit of God overshadowed Mary who was a virgin. And overshadowing her, the Bible says that God enabled her to conceive a son. And this son was Jesus Christ. He would be born of a virgin. virgin. He would not have a sinful nature. And the Bible says the Word became flesh. And notice John as he writes this. He says he dwelt among us. Jesus tabernacled with us. The glory of God was with us. The tent that they identified within the wilderness where the glory of God came down, the tent was with them. The temple that they had during Solomon's time, they identified with the glory of God coming down. The glory of God was with them. Do you fathom what's going on? The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The glory of God is His holiness. The glory of God is the essence of God. All other attributes emanate off the holiness of God. Do you understand this? When as a sinner, you and I can do nothing to come up to equal the glory of God because we're sinful. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But the glory of God was revealed through Jesus Christ. He was more than just a man. He was the God-man. He was God who became a man like you and I. And the Bible describes Him that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory. John said we got to see walking with us the glory of God. We got to see the Shekinah glory. We got to see the holiness of God. The glory glory is of the only begotten of the Father. He's saying God only had one Son and that Son was given for you and I as a sacrifice for sin. He doesn't have multiple sons in the sense of deity. There's only one Son and Jesus Christ. And He describes Him full of grace and full of truth. That's how we define Jesus. Full of grace and full of truth. Truth demands justice. Justice demands that justice be served. But thank God this morning Jesus Christ is full of grace. And being full of grace that there's the mercies of God that's applied to every sinner. Whereas God would say, 
justice says justice must be served. Mercy says I will pay the price for you. I'm saying this morning as we consider our Lord Jesus Christ today. He is the living word. He is the word that walked among us. Notice as, as the word, his word is sacred. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You listen this morning. Please don't take for granted. Whenever this book is open, please don't take for granted the reading of the word. Please don't take for granted when you read this in privacy. It's just another reading, another day. No, this is the blessed, holy word of God. This is God's word. His word is sacred. Everything he said is sacred. His promises are sacred. His precepts are sacred. His person is sacred. Listen, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all words. Listen, we need to get rid of our cavalier, uh, uh, maverick attitude that we're just going to get another sermon and we're just going to get another reading and we're just, we're just hearing from the words of man. No, you're not hearing the words of man. You're hearing from the living word of God. The word that can change your life. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away, Jesus Christ said. We have in our hands, in our possession, the sacred word. And oh, would God help us this morning to consider we must cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and superfluity of naughtiness and that we may with meekness receive the engrafted word which is able to save souls. Listen, this morning, if there's anything we could do to help ourselves as a Christian, we've got to get rid of that cavalier attitude that is just another book where I want to find out what this commentator says about what the preacher said. And I want to find out what this person says about what that says. No, you don't need to find out what the commentator said. You just need to go back to the author of the book and say, God, what do you want me to know? Open thou my eyes, I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Order my steps in thy word, and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Oh, forever, O oh Lord, thy word is forever settled in heaven. We need to come with the reverence and respect that the word of God is able to change our lives. It's a sacred word. But I remind you this morning, as the word, the living word, his word is sympathetic. In John chapter 11, verses 20 to 30, listen to the sympathetic words of our Lord. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. How many feel like you're just working, 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 going nowhere? Amen. How many tired of the rat race? How many tired, feeling like you just want to quit your job, you want to retire, you want to move away, you want to get away from this? Hey, listen, he says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. How many were burdened down this morning? You started this week with your shoulders upright, but as you got to Friday, your, your shoulders are bent down with the burdens of the day and the burdens that you carry. And our Lord emphasized today, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And you shall find rest unto <coughs> your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. As the living word, his word is sacred. As the living word, his word is sympathetic. But as the living word, his word is saving. First Peter one twenty three says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And as you read through the gospel of John, you cannot help but read this. In the opening verses, he starts talking about that Jesus Christ is God, that he is he's all powerful in his essence. We see him as the word. But we go down in verse four and we see Jesus Christ is life. And in him, the life was the light of men. We see Jesus Christ as the source of life. We see Jesus Christ as the source of light. He is the light. We see later on in verse 29, that Jesus Christ is the lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. In verse 34, Jesus declared, to be the living Son of God. In verse 49, Jesus is both the Son of God and the King of Israel. And as we end John chapter 1 and verse 51, He says of Himself that He's the ladder that reaches from heaven to earth and from earth to heaven. Hey, let me tell you this morning, if you're trying to find a way to God through other than Jesus Christ, it won't work. He is the ladder that will get you there. He's the escalator that will not break down. Amen? He's the escalator that won't trip you up. He's the ladder that will get you between God and man. You can get to heaven by coming through Jesus Christ this morning. Thank God this morning we have a Savior. We have a Jesus who's all-powerful in His essence. But quickly this morning, what you notice the second thing, what you consider with me the truth about His adorable esteem. Now, tomorrow morning when you have your devotions, or later today you have your devotions, you've got about maybe eight to twelve things you could, to, to, attributes of God or descriptions of Jesus Christ you can thank God for when you worship Him. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that He's the living Word. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that He's the life. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that He's the light. Thank you, dear God, that He's the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. Thank God He's full of grace and full of truth. And by the way, verse 16, I like what it says, that He says He gives grace for grace. You know what that means there? After, you, after the grace of God works in your heart and saves you, He keeps on giving you more grace. Amen? Grace for grace. It means says much more grace is what He gives you there. Thank God this morning He's a Savior that never runs out of resources. And thank God this morning He's a Savior that has got more 
more than enough grace for you and I. He giveth more grace. And thank God this morning, He's not only the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world, He's only the Son of God. He's the King of Israel. And He can be your Jesus this morning if you call upon Him today. But notice as we look at that, we must consider Jesus in His adorable esteem. To esteem something is to hold it up highly. To esteem something is to give it acknowledgement and glory and honor. Notice in verses 25 to 27, John the Baptist was interviewed by the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day. You have to understand, John was the great personality of that moment. John had already established, if you would, his ministry. He was baptizing. He came as John the Baptist. Amen? He came to baptize. And he was preaching a baptism of repentance. He was preparing the hearts of the Jews for the one that was to come. He was, defi- he was prophesying in Scripture as the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And now he, John has his large following. Jesus is coming. The Pharisees are trying to reconcile who the two are. They said, who is he? Who is he in comparison of you? And the Pharisees, in their carnal way of thinking, tried to, tried to create conflict and competition between God, between Jesus Christ and John the Baptist. They want to see which of the two men has the greatest following. And notice how John describes this here. In verses 25 to 27, he says, Jesus is to be preferred. And they asked him, saying in verse 25, Why baptize thou them, if thou be not that Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet. Now, first thing John says is, listen, you think I'm not going to tell you I'm Jesus. And I'm not going to tell you that I'm Elijah. And I'm not going to tell you that I'm that prophet. I'm just John the Baptist. I'm just who God made me to be. And John answered them saying, verse 26, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom you know not. He it is who's coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latchet I am not worthy to loose. Would you notice verse 27? He says, he it is who's coming after me is preferred before me. Now, to prefer something is to choose something above something or someone else. You know, to prefer something is over someone else. A preference is a choice. John had this large large falling. But here's what John said. He is preferred before me. He's saying, in other words, this, this statement. You need to take Jesus because he's better than me. You need to take Jesus because he's preferred before me. You ought to prefer Jesus above all your other choices. He should be the top of your choices. Take Jesus over me is what he's saying. Now we go back to the book of Hebrews and we we find these believers, these Hebrew believers who had professed faith in Jesus Christ, but false teachers came alongside of them. Teachers who wanted to beguile them and bring them backwards in their faith or to beguile them. They needed something else to add to the salvation. And the writer, who I believe is the Apostle Paul, reminds them as, he, as the Holy Spirit leads them to write Hebrews. He's weaving through Hebrews 1 all the way to Hebrews 6 of Jesus being better than everything else they've had. He starts off by saying, Jesus is better than the angels. He starts off by saying, Jesus is better than Abraham. And Jesus Jesus is better than the prophets. And Jesus is better than Moses. And Jesus is better than the Old Testament law. And in chapter 5 and 6, he represents Jesus Christ as being better than the Old Testament high priest who had to make a sacrifice for the sins of the people and, his own, and for his own sins. But Jesus Christ, who came as our great high priest, he didn't die for his sins. He died for your sins and mine. And when he died for our sins, he died once because he only had to die once for the sins of all of mankind. Jesus is to be preferred. Now listen to me this morning. I don't want to offend you today, but listen. And we fast forward to our modern day churches and we see that the average church guest, the average, the average church goer is chasing some celebrity. Let me say this morning, Jesus is to be preferred. Jesus, not Joel Austin. Jesus, not, not Joyce Myers. Jesus, not T.D. Jakes. Jesus, not your favorite television preacher or radio personality, whoever it may be. Jesus alone. Jesus to be preferred. And here's what John says. You guys are following after me trying to find out what I'm about. Hey, he is to be preferred. I'm not even worthy to tie, untie his shoe latchet. I'm not worthy to, tie, worthy to put on his sandals. He said, he is so great and he's so wonderful and he's so holy. And by the way, he's so God because he is God. He says he is to be preferred before me. I'm saying this morning, do you prefer Jesus over everything else? Do you prefer Jesus over your job? Do you prefer Jesus over your jewelry? Do you prefer Jesus over your glory? Do you prefer Jesus over your preferences? I'm saying this morning, as we look at all of these things, He is to be preferred as far as every Christian is concerned. My wife and I recently were visiting with, with someone who prospectively was, came to our church and we were talking to that person. They experienced a, a loss of a loved one and, and this person who's up in years a little bit there was uh, encouraged by some friends. Well, why don't you get remarried and find somebody else so you can fill up your loneliness? And this is what the person said. Why would I want to remarry when I always had the best for 50 years of my marriage? 
Why would I want to remarry when I know I had the best? You know what that person is saying? What, who I was married to is preferred. I don't need anything else. And that's the attitude God wants us to have. We're not going to get disillusioned with Jesus Christ and get disillusioned with the church because somebody failed you. We're going to just realize this morning that Jesus is preferred. And if you've got Jesus, why would you want anybody else? And why would you want anything else if you have Jesus Christ? Amen? Jesus is to be preferred. But what you notice this morning, Jesus is to be praised. At his entry into the world, we'll read this when we get to the Christmas, Christmas time there. Luke chapter 2, the angels descended and is saying, glory to God in the highest. During his ministry, you couldn't help but have people from the very get-go that came and worshipped and praised Jesus Christ. Those, those, those wise men, those magi that came from the east, they came from modern, modern day Persia, they came with their gifts to glorify him. They came and bowed down and worshipped him. Mary Magdalene, who was delivered from seven demonic spirits, she came and worshipped him. The woman of Samaria in John chapter 4, who will visit again, she met him at the well and she worshipped him. The demoniac of Gadara, who we read about in Mark chapter 5, he sat at his feet and his right mind and he worshiped him the woman who was uh, the syrophoenician woman who was a gentile jesus went up to the coast of tyre and sidon he went up that coastline there above where the philistine cities were and he went there to tyre and sidon for specifically to visit that lady and when she saw him she bowed down and worshiped him jesus was walking the jericho road he was going from the first jericho to the second jericho and as he made his way there the bible says there were two blind men on the road that cried out to him one were told his name his name was bartimaeus and bartimaeus worshiped him we're told in the gospel of luke about ten lepers that came to Jesus and he gave he cleansed them of their leprosy but one came back and worshipped him we're told of a nobleman who came all the way from Capernaum down to Cana of Galilee he walked 15 miles by foot he was a rich man he was an aristocratic man he was a wealthy man but he had a son who was at the point of death and this man came to worship Jesus I'm saying this morning when you get around Jesus Christ you cannot help but want to worship him and by the way you should want to worship him and to glorify him Jesus said if I be lifted up I will draw men into myself let me tell you this morning, you come to church, the church experience is not how good the music is and the church experience is not how powerful the preaching is and the church experience is not how talented our musicians are and the church experience is not about what kind of buildings we put up and the church experience is not about what you think Jesus Christ is. The church experience is He is what He is because He's God this morning. We need to praise and worship Him. Oh, this morning, do you praise Him? Do you honor Him? Do you worship Him? Did you praise Him this morning? This in Revelation 4.11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Listen, we spend more time reading a restaurant menu during a given day than we do praising our Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 2, after Paul defines and describes our Lord Jesus Christ, how he humbled himself and made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a man and being in likeness of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. I mean, I'm talking about God who created us. God who's holy. We are the creation and He is the creator. He humbled himself. He became like us for one reason, to die for your sins and mine. This is wherefore God has also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in the earth, and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is, is, is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 1.17, Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Hey, it's time to stop everything this morning. Put everything on hold. Put the, put the watch on stop. And realize this morning, we come to praise our Lord Jesus Christ here. Amen? Amen. Praise Him. Praise Him. Jesus, our blessed Redeemer. Sing all worth His wonderful love proclaimed. Hail Him. Hail Him. Highest archangels in glory. Strength and honor. Give to His holy name. Like a shepherd, Jesus will guard His children. In His arms, He carries them all day long. Praise Him. Praise Him. Jesus, our blessed Redeemer. Heavenly portals, loud with hosannas ring. Jesus, Savior, reigneth forever and ever. Crown Him. Crown Him. Prophet and priest and king. Christ is coming. Over the world victorious. Power and glory belong unto Him. Praise Him, praise Him. Tell of His excellent greatness. Praise Him, praise Him ever in joyful song. Oh, this morning, listen. In His adorable esteem, Jesus is to be preferred. In His adorable esteem, Jesus is to be praised. But notice in His adorable esteem, esteem, Jesus is to have preeminence. We've had several precious young couples that have been married in our church this year, and one more to come. 
I think I have a few that are being lined up for next year. I'm excited for them. When I counsel with our couples, our singles that are that know that it's God's will for them to get married, one of the important questions that's asked before they even get to the marriage altar is, do you take this person as a first place in your marriage? Not second place. First place. Not second place, not first place. When the warriors beat the Cavaliers, they were great about being first place. You said, well, at least the Cavaliers got second place. If you were a Cleveland Cavalier, you're not rejoicing about being in second place. I'll tell you that right now, amen? Jesus Christ doesn't want second place in your life. He wants first place in your life. Amen? Some of you look at me like, well, don't bring that up, Pastor. Well, how can I not bring it up? It's the Bible. Amen? This is Colossians 1.18. He's the head of body, the church, who's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Christ should have preeminence in every Christian life. It's all yours. Jesus, it's your day. Jesus, this is your body. Jesus, this is your life. We sing that song, Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. But do you really mean that? I'm okay with Jesus being here, but I'm right here. He doesn't want second place. He must preeminent in every Christian life. He must be preeminent because He is our Maker. Don't, don't say this this year, today, that, well, because I've got college years ahead, I've got to put Jesus in second place. If you don't make Him first place now, you're not going to make it. And if you're in your retirement years, and you're saying, listen, I'm in retirement years, I've got all these things I want to do. Well, go do those things, but make sure He's first. And if you're in between all that, you say, well, I've got all these things to do. I've got a safer retirement. I've got to do this. Do all those things, but make sure He's first. You say, well, I don't know how to balance all that. Well, you know what? If you make him first, he'll help you figure it out. Because we have a promise in Matthew 6.33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God is righteous, and all these things shall be added unto you. Amen? Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thy heart. Jesus Christ to be preeminent because he's our master. To be preeminent means what he says and not what you say. To be preeminent means not my will but thine be done. I'm just saying this morning, hey, let's look at our Lord Jesus Christ from the words of John the Baptist. Listen, he is a man. He is God who's all powerful in his essence. And he's adorable in his esteem. As we close this morning, would you notice one last thing? And notice verse 3 with me. In verse 3, we see Jesus and his absolute essential. It's adorable in his esteem. He's all powerful in his essence. But let's make no mistake. He's absolutely essential. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. There was no big bang, friends. There was no cosmic explosion. It wasn't a dust particle appeared out of nowhere. No, all things were made by him. There's intelligent design behind that. All things were made by him. By him all things consist. And if you notice, as, as John writes this, he is amazed at the thought the Spirit of God put in his mind that without him was not anything made. Do you understand this morning those words, without him? Without him, there is no creation. Without him, there is chaos. Without him, there is conflict. Without him, there's no answered prayer. Without him, there's no living water. Without him, there's no living bread. Without him, the devil is in control. Without him, our giants cannot be conquered. Without him, our Red Seas cannot be divided. Without him, our burdens are more than we can bear. Without him, there's no lasting peace. Without him, there is no power. Without him, churches fail. Without him, the Christian life is a failure. Without him, marriages cannot make it. Without him, we are hopeless. Without Him, we have no anchor. Without Him, we're going in circles. Without Him, our labor is in vain. Without Him, no one can be saved from His sins this morning. Without Him. 
And John, Jesus said in John 15, 5, I am the vine, and you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. We're trying to serve Jesus in our flesh, and we're producing nothing. We're trying to serve Jesus with our strategic planning, and we're accomplishing nothing. Without him, life and his men, we are most miserable. But I want you to know this morning, with him, life is incredible. Amen? With him, life is great. With him, life, you're on the winning side. With him, you're more than conquerors through him that loved loved us so. With him, he is for us and not against us. With Jesus, notice this morning, he is always with us, even to the end of the world. And with Jesus, whatsoever we ask the Father in his name, that will he do for us. And with Jesus, nothing is impossible with God. And with Jesus, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And with Jesus, my joy is full. And with Jesus, you don't have to be bitter, you can be better. With Jesus, you don't, you're, you're not defeated but victorious. And with Jesus, your sins can be forgiven. And with Jesus, we read John verse one, John chapter one verse twelve. You can be a Son of God. Look at verse twelve. And to as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. Listen, it's not believing on Alan Fong, and it's not believing on some pope, it's not believing on some cleric, it's not believing on some religious uh, icon of the past. No, it's none of those things. Without Him, it says. By Him, it says in verse twelve. As many as received Him, Jesus Christ, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. No one can make you a son of God except Jesus Christ, our Savior. And if you have any other way, you're trying to connive your way into heaven. Notice verse 13. Verse 13 refutes three methodologies people are trying to use to get to heaven. Number one, being born into a Christian family will not get you to heaven. Notice what he says in verse 13. He says, he says, which were born not of blood. Listen, I had three children born in my family, but each one of them had to repent that they're sinners and call upon Jesus Christ to save them. Just because you're born in a Christian family doesn't make you a Christian, doesn't make you a born-again believer. That's just like me. If I was born in a garage, I'm not a car, amen? You don't understand, Pastor Fong. I come from a tradition of five-generation Christians. You still need to be born again. Verily, I say unto the accepted man, be born again. He cannot enter to the kingdom of God. Notice verse 13. It's not by human descent. Notice it's not by human deeds, nor of the will of the flesh. That's good works. That's baptism. That's all the good works and deeds we're trying to do. Listen, you can do all the good works you want. There are not enough good works that will put you on a favorable acceptance basis with God. I'm sorry to tell you that. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy. By the wash and regeneration. What's regeneration? The new birth. We are saved. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. Send me your boast. And John is writing. He said, listen, human descent is not going to save you. And human deeds cannot save you. And notice he says here something else. Nor of the will of man. Not by human desire. Listen, i got a pastor's heart. If I've ever knocked on your door and told you about the Lord, I can ask people to stand it, that my wife had led to Christ. They, they will tell you this. I've said to many of them, I said, listen, if I could believe for you, I would do it. But I can't believe for you. You've got to believe for yourself. You've got to repent of your own sins. If I could repent for your sins and believe on Jesus Christ for you, I would do that. But no, you've got to repent of your own sins and call upon Jesus to save you. Do you understand this morning? So it's not by human descent. It's not by human deeds. It's not by human human desire, but of a humble decision. He says in verse 13, he, he says in verse 13, nor but of God. And God is Jesus Christ, which we saw in verse 12. Ladies and gentlemen, the truth is Jesus Christ is absolutely essential. Without him. Turn with me in John chapter 3 and we'll close with verses 16 to 18. Would you notice this? How these verses, which are familiar to many Christians, present to us the absolute essential of Jesus Christ. You cannot get away from His all-powerful essence. And we must humble ourselves and recognize His adorable esteem. But this morning, we must not leave this place without recognizing that He's absolutely essential. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. There's only one Jesus that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 
For God sent out His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You know what John's saying there? He's saying repeatedly what you'll hear again and again in the Gospel of John. Without Him, you cannot be saved. Without Him, there's no way to heaven. And Jesus declared to His disciples there, just hours before He used to be crucified, He saith unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by Me. He is the truth. The truth is, Jesus can save you from your sins. The truth is, today, heaven can be your home. The truth is, today, your sins can be forgiven. You can become a child of God. Heaven can be your home. You can leave this place knowing that you've been born again into the family of God. The truth is, Jesus is the truth. You need to believe on Him and call upon Him to save you. In 1988, a 16-year-old girl by the name of Anissa Ayala was diagnosed with a rare and malignant and dangerous form of leukemia. The doctors told her, Anissa, the only remedy we can give for you, you must go through chemotherapy, radiation, and after you successfully completed that, you must go through a successful bone marrow transplant. She went through the harrowing experience of chemotherapy and radiation. Her body ravaged. More days she was weak than she was strong. Her hair completely dropping off her head. She looked pale more than she looked healthy. But when encouragement from her family, she made it through the chemo. She made it through the radiation. As they were nearing the completion of all those rigorous treatments, the question came up, where are we going to get a bone marrow transplant? Where are we going to get a bone marrow donor that matches what she has? The mother and father took their testing, and the mother and father didn't have anything near to that. And as they're weeks away, they found out, the mother found out that she, that she was, uh, she, she had conceived a child, and they thought, well, you know, we've got to go through this. And several, several weeks afterwards, that the mother gave birth to this child, and she had a younger sister by the name of Marissa. And as Marissa got to be a few months old, they tested little baby Marissa, and they found out that she was a suitable bone marrow donor for her sister, Anissa. Amazingly, they took the bone marrow, little Marissa, and transferred into Anissa. And miraculously, over time, Anissa has been leukemia and cancer-free. I love those kind of stories, don't you? But it gets better. Both sisters, as far as we know today, are still living very healthy lives. Marissa was asked as an elementary school child, she said, do you realize that you saved your sister's life? Listen to Marissa, quote unquote, what she said. Without me being a perfect match for my sister, she would not be here. Without me being a perfect match for my sister, she would not be here. Without Jesus Christ, there's no other way to heaven. Without Jesus Christ as your Savior, he that believeth not is condemned already. We're walking dead men without Christ. It's just waiting for death and being condemned to an eternity in hell where God doesn't want you to go. Without Him, there's no hope. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there's none other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved. As we close this morning, let's not say without him. Let's say I'll take him. With him. To as many as receive him, John 1.12. In a moment, I'm going to help you. If you're not sure you're saved, you've never had your sins forgiven, 
You've never called upon Jesus Christ to save you. I'm going to help this morning how by faith you can exercise faith in receiving the gift of eternal life from God and that you can be saved from your sins today and receive the gift of eternal life. Secondly, Christian friend, every Christian struggles inside about the eminence and the role Jesus Christ should have in our lives. And this morning, it should be a no-brainer for us today. We see, God, it's all or nothing. God, help me to live for you. Lord, I've taken some steps backwards, but I'm going to take some steps forward this morning. And recognizing today, you're going to give him preeminence in your life. That he will be preferred, he will be praised, and will have preeminence. Christ has not had preeminence. He's been second place or lower. Well, don't you think this morning is a good time and place? that he becomes first place in your life. You say, Jesus, it's all yours. I'm going to live for you. I want you to have control. Father in heaven, we thank you this morning for those who have come today to worship the Lord. And Lord, we want to take a moment to esteem you, to praise you, to magnify you as being the author of salvation, the giver of eternal life, the great God and our Savior who sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. Only His death satisfies all of your righteousness. And this morning as we've tried the best we can, Lord, to exalt Christ and to lift Him up, there might be some today in this congregation who are not saved. They're truly not born again and they need to get saved today. If they don't get saved, Lord, without Christ, they're going to spend eternity in hell. They'll suffer and spend all eternity there because the Bible says, He that believeth not is condemned already. And Jesus came that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And Father, this morning we, we give the invitation, we pray for folks who do not know Christ as their Savior. They've never called on the Lord to be saved, that this morning would be the time. With heads bowed and eyes closed. Dear sir and dear ma'am, dear student, man or woman, boy or girl, Whoever you are today, your heart of hearts, if you know you're not, you've never been washed under the blood of Christ, you know this morning that you're a sinner who needs to be saved, I invite you today, right where you're seated, to call on the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, to save you from your sins. Again, John 1.12 says, to as many as received him. Today, we're going to help you to know how to receive him. He says, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God. I'm going to invite you this morning, you're not saved, to call on Jesus right where you're seated. You can follow me in prayer to call on Jesus as Savior. The prayer itself is not what's going to save you. It's what you say in your heart in asking Christ to save you. If you know you need to be saved, why don't you pray this prayer with me right now. Make these your words as you call on Jesus to save you. Here's what you can pray to be saved this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, I confess today I am a sinner going to hell who needs to be saved. I believe that your son, Jesus Christ, is God who died for my sins and rose again from the dead. I repent of my sins and confess Jesus Christ alone is the only one who can save me. I take Jesus now to be my Savior my God, and my best friend. Thank you today for saving me, for the gift of eternal life, making me a child of God. In Jesus' name, with your head still bowed and eyes closed. You prayed that prayer. I want to know where you're at this morning because in a moment I'm going to pray for everyone in the congregation. I want to pray for you, even if I don't know your name, which I don't, and I'm not going to call your name. I want to pray for you this morning that your prayer was sincere. And that God will give you perfect peace in your heart for having called on Jesus. Who would say this morning, Pastor Fong, I prayed with you this now. I just prayed and asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior. And I want you to know that. You'd raise your hand. Anyone like that? You'd raise your hand and say, Pastor, I prayed and asked Jesus Christ, God's Son, to be my Savior. Just a moment ago, I prayed and called on the Lord to save me. Anyone like that today? Oh, wait just a moment. Anyone here today? God spoke to your heart about Jesus Christ. He's absolutely essential. You call on Jesus to save you. How many Christians would say this morning, God spoke to me that Jesus Christ has not had first place in my life. 
I put him down to second place and third place and lower than that. And God spoke to me today to get things recalibrated so that he's first in my life. Pray for me this morning, preacher, that Jesus Christ will be first in my life. Would you pray for me? You'd raise your hand. Pray for me that he'd stay first in my life. Thank you for being honest. Who else this morning? Who else this morning? God bless you. Who else would be honest and say, he's not been first in my life, and I just want to make sure he's first. You can put your hands down. And if you meant that, and you've recently been saved, the next step for you with, with Christ is to follow him and identifying with him through believer's baptism and testifying to this body Christ that, that Jesus Christ has died for your sins and rose again. And I trust this morning that you take that next step in the upcoming services to follow the Lord in scriptural baptism and identifying with Christ because you've accepted him as Savior. Now, Father, today, thank you that nothing but the truth is that we need Jesus. The truth is we need him. And this morning, I pray that you put such an urgency and such a hunger and such a thirst and such a desire in our hearts that we want nothing but Jesus. David said, as the heart or as the deer panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. And I pray this morning for some, perhaps who are not saved, but they're vacillating, they're struggling with that, that decision. They help them to choose today to call on Jesus to be their Savior. Help them today to take Him right now. And then for others today, Lord, who recognize that Christ has not had first place. Other things have gotten in the way. Busyness has supplanted Christ. Other things have supplanted Him where we've kind of lost track of things. Help us this morning as we've raised our hands to indicate we want Him to be first, that we'd acknowledge that in everything we do, all our thoughts, words, and deeds. Would you use the invitation for us to be transparent, real, true, and genuine? And we pray for this now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Let's stand. Brother Vaughn's going to sing as we stand. And it's, I'm just going to ask you this morning, if God spoke to your heart, you need to come. You come to the altar this morning. Come visit with one of our altar workers. You know you need to get saved. You have a friend here today that needs to get saved. Why don't you bring them this morning and have the altar workers show them how to be, trust Christ as Savior. And this morning, you know that Christ needs to have first place, and you've been vacillating. He's had less than that. How about this morning, letting him have that first place in your life? Would you this morning? How about this morning just saying, God, I recognize it hasn't been right, but I want to make it right today. And by the way, aren't you glad today that it is right? And it can be right because we trust Him. We'll sing another stanza. You come this morning. We invite you to come. The Lord is loving. He's gracious and merciful. He gives grace for grace. He gives you grace to be saved. But after you're saved, He keeps on giving us more grace. He gives us grace for more grace. Maybe we need grace in our life this morning to help us through challenges and difficulties we have. You come this morning. How about it this morning? Without Him. Without Him. We are of all men most miserable. But with Him. With Him, nothing's impossible, God. With Him, He can do all things for us. He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask for things. Father, bless the invitation now. Decisions made. We'll give you glory for this in Jesus' name. Amen.